0: When I was first called uh, to, to lead the downtown campus of Christ Community, it was simultaneously one of the most exciting, exhilarating, and most scary days of my entire life. Um, <laughs> finally, I mean, after all these years of preparing, after all these years of studying and training and internships and mentorships, I was going to be doing what I would prepared for, what my heart longed for, What what I so desperately felt called to do were the people I loved to do it with in a city that desperately needed a gospel-shaped community. But within those first few months of being called to this role, a couple things happened. Um, Around five of our core team in this campus plant um, were called to move away because of job transitions, one of which was our worship leader at the time. We were no longer able to gather in the social room that we were at. Uh, so so we, we were left with the question, OK, now where do we go? And then thirdly, um, the building that we had been investigating for the past eight months at that stage finally went kaput. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't work out. After all that negotiating, we just found out that that wasn't going to work. And two other facilities that we'd looked at in our search process became dead ends. And some of you very much remember <laughs> that time in our journey as a campus. Well, I asked a lot of questions of God at that time. Um, I said, you know, God, this is much harder and much more difficult than I thought it would ever be. I mean, do you, Am I the problem? <laughs> you know? is, is, am I supposed to be leading this, this great group of folks? Um, I thought you called me here. Um, is this the way things normally work for you, uh, where you call us and then things get a little crazy? And then one night I couldn't sleep. And I was laying down on my bed, and instead of counting sheep, I was wanting to slaughter them on the altar of sleep, you know. And, uh, And I tried to begin praying through my anxieties, and it was at this moment in the middle of the night, I felt God calling me to do something very strange. I felt this urge to get out of my bed and put my face deep in the rug on the floor. If you know me, this isn't normally the way God works in my life. You know, normally, He's working through the consistent reading of His scripture and maturing us in the image of Jesus Christ. But for whatever reason, I couldn't shake it. I was like, man, I just need to get on my face next to my bed. <laughs> so then I start having this inner dialogue you know, at 2, 3 in the morning. I start saying, okay, I'm just being dramatic. You know, I, want an, I want an experience to, you know, to be able to, to live into. Or then I, I, okay, I say, okay, maybe there's something more going on here. And then I say, well, if I get out of bed, I'm going to wake up Allie. She's going to ask me what I'm doing. I'm going to look like an idiot. And that's going to wake her up out of her sleep. And that's not really a loving husband thing to do. So, and on and on this dialogue is going on in my mind. But I cannot shake the fact that I just feel this unbelievable burden to just get on my face next to my bed. So, I ended up getting on the floor, burying my face, in the rug, and I began asking some of those same questions. God, this is so much different and so much more difficult than I thought it was going to be. I thought, you know, I thought this was going to be, as soon as you jumped into the, to the scene and we were, we got the ball rolling, things were going to take off and it was going to be smooth sailing. If you're in this and if you have me on my face right now, just let me know. And God doesn't always answer our pleas in that regard. Sometimes he works in multiple ways. But I said, are you in this? I'm desperate. Am I the right guy to lead this campus? Do you want our church in downtown Kansas City? And then, you know, and, and people talk about this, but it wasn't in an audible voice such that I could tell you that God had a deep baritone or, you know, that he wasn't a squeaker or anything along those lines. But in an overwhelming tide of warmth, and clarity, almost in the sense that I could see the words rather than hear them. Um, I suddenly knew God had me here in spite of the difficulties. Um, Yeah, Allie, she woke up, and she leaned over, and she goes, what are you doing? Are you okay? Did you fall out of bed? You know, and I'm in this moment, and I'm like, yeah, I'm praying. And she goes, oh, you know, she's half asleep, half awake. Sorry I'm telling this story. I didn't run this one by her. I probably should have before... And she rolled back over and went to sleep, and I'm on the floor. But I found this overwhelming peace of God's presence here and knowing that God had me exactly to wrestle with Him through the difficulties. I mean, after that uncomfortable encounter, I got back into bed, and I fell right asleep. This unbelievable peace. And I woke up, and I never had an anxious thought again. Well, well not quite, but, but since then... I've learned and I'm continuing to learn um, that just because God calls us to something doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's comfy. Um, And I mean, that's a pretty elementary idea. I mean, Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. It's not comfortable when he even gives this discipleship claim to us. But, But still, I mean, so often we forget that. We think... That if the door opens at the right time, all the money comes in at exactly the right moment, our families go on the perfect trajectory that we've planned, then God's in it. And we even have language for this, right? This was a God moment. This was a God moment that God broke in. Well, what about all the points in between A and B where it was very difficult, but he's still orchestrating and moving and guiding and shaping you through the process? Well, we think... So much that if it requires effort or difficulty, or at least I speak for myself here as I learn, or it has this high potential to fail, that God can't possibly be leading. The reality, though, is that the best things in life are rarely the easy things in life, right? The best things in life are rarely the easy things in life. And one man who knew that very well was Nehemiah. In his first two chapters of his memoirs that we went over last week, we saw a leader whose heart was burdened by his city by God and through faithful prayer and courageous action he's actually led out of comfort. I mean he's a special slave or servant to the king. He's actually living in luxury in Susa, right at King Artaxerxes' winter home. But instead he feels this unbelievable burden on his heart for Jerusalem, his city, his native his native land. Her issues are complex. The problems of poverty are overwhelming. But as a prized servant, Nehemiah has a God-placed passion and a God-orchestrated placement such that he can rally together resources and royal approval for the reconstruction of the walls of Jerusalem. This is God working in his specific vocation. And in chapter 2, verse 18, God shows us something else. He isn't just working through Nehemiah, is he? The best thing is rarely the easy thing, and the best thing usually requires a team. And although Nehemiah, he may have been the catalyst for change here, the whole inhabitants, the whole city of Jerusalem, comes together with Nehemiah. And they're rallied to rebuild what they've been gazing at for the past 140 years, this mass ruin surrounding them. But well, the leaders, they're energized by this new hope of restoration, And they join Nehemiah in chapter 2, verse 18. And what do they say? Let us arise and build. Finally, right? They're excited. They're energized. They're ready to go. And some of you even read this this morning in your reading as we journey together and open here. But a question we have when we end chapter 2 is, what does wall building really look like? What does an obedience to God's call entail here? Well, we're entering as a church, and as a campus specifically, a new stage for the downtown campus. This past week, after 14 months of wrestling with the city, uh, alongside of the city, we should say, uh, we were able to fix a lot of the different disagreements we had on what the, the, the property at 1708 Baltimore should look like, and we got our permit on Friday. Yes, yeah. Um, so this, what does this mean for us? Okay, this is exciting. 14 months, we keep saying. And eight, you know, before that, the eight months of wrestling through that other facility. Um, What does this mean? That means we have construction starting this week. Uh, The rezoning, we got an at-risk permit, so we were able to start construction, which we were going to about four weeks ago, uh, before the rezoning happened, but that happens this Wednesday um, uh, by the city automatically. And this means after we begin construction, we have six to seven weeks before we're in our new space. And our wall building is going to be very multifaceted. Yeah, it will be physical. There's going to be some painting. There's going to be moving furniture. There's going to be building some furniture. We've got some great and and brilliant minds here to do some of that, to really watch our finances there. But also we need some creative entrepreneurs to think of new missional outreaches with a space that we have for 24-7 rather than just Sunday morning. How can we be in our community for our community? Um, with these new facilities to truly facilitate missional outreach. And so we have to remember that wall building is a team effort. And so whether you're here for the first time, um, whether you're new, whether you just committed to membership, what did you just step into, right? Um, Or you've been here for a few years, journeying along, excited to begin the restoration work. um, Well, it's time to build up those walls of restoration in our downtown in the broadest sense possible, not in the negative sense where we're building walls to keep people out, right? Well, this morning in Nehemiah, we're going to take a glance in chapter three and spend a longer period of our time in chapter four of Nehemiah, and we're going to learn three truths all obedient wall builders can bank on, all right? That's, That's you and me as we enter into this new stage as a campus, and here they are. Hard work awaits us, Big challenges confront us, but spiritual resources are available to us. Hard work, yeah, it awaits us. Big challenges will confront us, but spiritual resources are available to us. If you could turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 3, if you um, have your Bibles there already. If you don't have a Bible, like Josh said, we have some available on the back table. Please don't feel awkward to get up and grab one. We find great value in following the scriptures together. It is all good to, to grab a Bible and to follow along. Or you can look at your neighbor. We also like to... Or not look at your neighbor. That would be weird. But look at your neighbor's Bible. Um, we like to share around here. So to be generous people with our word as well. Um, you'll find this morning's passage, if you do use one of the community Bibles, on page 256. Page 256. So that always helps me if I'm new to a book on how to navigate it. Uh, what page is it on? So... First, hard work awaits us, folks. In chapter 3, we read about the people of Jerusalem who have gone from hype to hard work. But the workforce isn't what we naturally would have expected. Um, this, This construction crew isn't made up of professional builders. It's a hodgepodge of priests, politicians, factory workers, men and women and children and they're all working together in unity to rebuild their wall for their city. For example, if you look at verse 22 of chapter 3, it says after him the priests, the men of the surrounding area repaired, after the Benjamin, after them Benjamin and Hashuv repaired opposite their house, after them Azariah, the son of Maaseah, son of Ananiah repaired beside his own house. On and on the list goes, and we could read the whole chapter Um, but I can't pronounce all those names just as much as you can't. But that's the idea. It's a list of names. And if we were to look at their project, we would see here that this dark black dotted line is the walls that they're building. It's about 2.5 miles of a wall, enclosing about 220 acres of city. And what you can see here in this next picture of what the finished product goal was like. Um, They've got the walls that are gathering all around this main compartment of Jerusalem here. Um, If you drove through any sort of construction, which right now construction season is at its height, right? Um, Tons of ramps are getting shut down. If you drove through some of the construction, this work is less comparable to fixing a pothole as much as it is creating a whole new highway system. I mean, this is going to take some serious work. And one word could describe this whole project that's ahead of them. Daunting. I mean, especially with the crew that we've got here. We normally, um, when we get to chapters like chapter 3, we, we just skim through it and we think, what on earth? Why is this in the canon? Why does God still have this list of names uh, for us to read? Another way to ask that is, what can we learn from this strange list of names and extensive scope of work? Well, here are three helpful insights um, that we can learn um, about wall building in our city that we personally can't miss. First, This work, it's hard to do, but it's not hard to see. Um, People aren't sitting around debating whether they need to rebuild the wall at this point or not. It didn't even matter if they were professionals at what they were doing. If you look at this list of names, there are no stonemasons and there are no carpenters. That's kind of strange. If you're going to be building a wall, you'd want those two professional types in your project. They just showed up with willing hands, willing to work and get at what the needs were available to them. They saw a need and they filled a need, right? Secondly, it's hard to do this wall building business, but not hard to get to. So there are various causes in the ancient Near East people could have gotten involved in, just as much as any of us in here this morning. I mean, why work on the the wall of Jerusalem when they could have gotten involved in the Great Wall of China or something along those lines? That's much... More glamorous, you can see it supposedly from space and all this other jazz. Why the walls of Jerusalem? And especially much smaller compared to some of these other projects. Well, because it was in their neighborhood. You know, um, there were people who traveled in from neighboring towns, we see here in chapter 3. Verse 2 says, the men of Jericho actually traveled in to be a part of this building work. They knew Jerusalem, if Jerusalem flourished, so did Jericho. Jericho. There's this interconnection of this wider city here that they understood that if the center city flourished, then their surrounding communities would also flourish. And that's the same way today with downtown Kansas City. But for the predominant amount of workers who worked, Jerusalem was their home. I mean, if it flourished, they flourished. If it was impoverished, they were impoverished. Multiple times in Nehemiah 3, we see this refrain, and -and so-and-so repaired opposite his house opposite his house, whatever they did do, or whatever they didn't do, they woke up seeing it when they got out of bed, and they went to bed thinking about it, because it was right outside their door, and, 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 and lastly, so we, we see this proximity piece, and lastly, it's hard to do, but it can't be done alone, it's hard to do, but it can't be done alone, Nehemiah, he never attempts to build the wall himself, but engaged all God's people to do it together, um, as you read through chapter 3, I mean, it's these little refrains that give us an insight of what God's doing here. Chapter 3, there's this refrain of next to him, next to them, or after them. It's this shoulder-to-shoulder work where they're all working together, these people from various backgrounds, towards one unified purpose of helping God's city flourish. Doesn't that sound a lot like the church, folks? I mean, you got people from various backgrounds coming together, unified in Jesus Christ to see the common good of our city and the gospel proclamation of Jesus Christ go out. Well, I first wanted to say, before we move on any further, I want to say thank you. Um, So many of you, this describes your involvement in Christ's community and in our downtown campus. And I could easily write a chapter, like Nehemiah wrote, with many of your opportunities and the times that you've jumped in to serve whether it be in children's ministries, whether it be with a welcome team, whether it be with worship arts, set up, tear down, your financial support. Thank you. The mission of Christ in our downtown would not be possible without you. And so from the bottom of my heart, it is a true honor to serve alongside of you as your pastor. But the work isn't done, is it? Um, So let's return to our story. We see the people, they're moving as a unit. Um, They're being used by God to answer their own prayers, actually, and be the answer to prayers of people throughout decades. And the wall was being built through hard work well done. Our story in chapter 4, verse 6, says what? The people had a mind to work. and Literally, the word is heart, lev. Um, They had a heart. They were committed to the work that they had been called to. God had laid it first on Nehemiah's heart, we see in chapter 2. And then he goes and speaks with the leaders. The leaders get excited, and then all of the people now have caught this contagion and this excitement to be about their city's work for its flourishing. They're living life in the joy that comes with the work of restoration. But like we said earlier, the best things are rarely the easy things in life. And so we see point two, big challenges confront us. You see, in chapter four, we see that um, when they're about the work of restoration, they feel this great sense of pushback from a broken world with broken people and broken systems. It's all of these pieces coming together. And the two main challenges that we experience that are similar here come in the form of either external opposition or internal discouragement. Okay? Internal opposition, or external opposition and internal discouragement. Here we see the, the external opposition was obvious. It's Sanballat, it's Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ashdodites are the names that are mentioned. And history tells us, if you look at this picture, history tells us Sanballat, he's, he's the ruler of Samaria to the north. Then you have um, Tobiah, who's believed to held a high office in the land of Ammon, which is just east of Jerusalem. You have the Arabs, who consisted of ser- several countries to the east and the south of Jerusalem. And the Ashdodites were the major people group to the west. So they're completely surrounded by opposition. And it says here in our text that they aren't happy about what's going on. From the very beginning, this is not a good thing in their eyes. They all had major interests in the region on furthering their own power, building their own kingdoms. And a secure Jerusalem was a threat. So look at chapter 4, verse 1 with me again, after Josh excellently read it for us. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burnt ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite kind of chimes in, and he says, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, He will break down their stone wall. Now we know from this passage and from various times and experience that not everyone likes restoration. Not everyone likes when justice reigns supreme. And we we can't be naive in thinking that everyone is and will always be excited about a community centered on Jesus Christ having a permanent place here in our city. This doesn't mean that everybody is going to dislike us. (laughs) When we start going that way, we're doing something terribly wrong. If everybody in our city hates us, for goodness gracious. But on the other side, Jesus very clearly says that we're going to come across opposition if we're following him fully. Not everybody is going to be right on toe with where Christ has called us as his church. And that's okay. But we have to ask the reason why. How are we wrestling through this? How are we understanding this? And two main reasons. One, Because there's always someone benefiting from injustice. There's always someone who is gaining profit out of the abuse of the vulnerable in our city. And as a church, as a beacon of justice and righteousness, as God has called us, and we upset status quo at times as we work with our hands to be about the work of the vulnerable and caring for those who are poor and needy in our city and broken, we will experience pushback from those who are oppressing those people groups. Secondly, there's always ambitious and great leaders in our city who have great dreams for our city that don't align with God's design for flourishing in our city. And so there are going to be times where we're not going to agree about what flourishing looks like in our city. So those are two of the main reasons. Um, And in our story, Sanballat and Tobiah, which some have compared (laughs) to the old guys on the Muppets, um... (laughs) Stotler and Waldorf, you know, they just poke fun at everyone. They're always complaining. They're always whining. And they're never satisfied with with anything that's going on. Well, they enjoyed influence over the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so they sought to destroy their morale by mocking who they were. They call them feeble, little tiny people, weak. And they also mock what they're doing by using this analogy that a light-footed step of a fox can knock over these silly structures of a wall that's supposed to protect them in times of war and famine. But as the work of the restoration continues, the wall gets built halfway up, and it starts scaring these guys spitless. And verse 8 of chapter 4, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Not everyone's going to like the church being here in a more public space, also because um, of the Bible's stance on justice, yes, but the affirmation of the exclusivity of salvation coming through Jesus Christ. Um, And there will be power blocks. There will even be uh, goal misalignment um, where we're not going to be able to team together with our city on certain issues. Um, But that's okay. You know, one of my favorite preachers is Charles Spurgeon. You know, he was this spitfire crazy guy. Um, And uh, he he said, God had one son without sin, but not a single child without trial. And and it's going to happen, folks. We have to have good understanding about who Christ has called us to be. And it's not going to happen all the time. It's not like we're living in the middle of a war zone, always experiencing bombs right next to our our walls. But still, it's going to come sometimes. And so it shouldn't shock us. We should be prepared to respond in grace and in mercy and in truth. Um, because in naivete, we won't be prepared on how to respond to those situations. And how does Nehemiah respond to this jeering? This is, oh man, this sometimes just chafes against our cultural sensibilities here. In a 21st century Western world mindset, um, he keeps working first while bringing it before God. And we could say, okay, this is, this is good. He's, he's ignoring it. This is where we get, we can agree with that. That makes sense to us. But he doesn't ignore it. He's angry. Because these two men have mocked humanity. These people made in the image of God, the people of God, therefore mocking the God who they've been made in the image of. This word despised, we are despised, is the word Nehemiah uses. is a word of contempt, of utter disregard for the humanity that these particular people are made in the image of God. And Nehemiah is angry. And that's okay. I mean, Jesus gets angry, but he doesn't sin in his life here on earth. Paul even says later in his letters, Be angry, but do not sin. But how do we do that? And Nehemiah's prayer gives us a window in how to do that. We should be angry at injustice. We should be angry when, 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 when people are abusing others with words or with actions. When Nehemiah is fully human and expressing his emotion of anger, but he does it in a faithful response. He trusts God to respond. Um, And for two reasons, because the God that he prays to is more gracious than he can ever be in those situations, and our desire of revenge will go too far. And our desire to retaliate, we will go too far. And quite frankly, God is more just than Nehemiah as well. So if our cultural sensibilities... Will not allow us to go to a certain level. God will handle what is appropriate for those who have pushed against his causes. He leaves it in God's hands. He's angry, but he prays to God to take care of it when it comes to the mocking and the jeering. He doesn't respond in angry words. He doesn't write an angry blog, you know, about Sandballad and Tobiah bashing them across Facebook. Um, instead, he prays to God in the private place. Um, but even as we look at these external opposition that will come Our greatest challenges, they don't come from the outside. Our greatest challenge comes when we hit the wall of discouragement, right? Internally, we see here that the Israelites, they begin listening to their critics, and they get overwhelmed in their work. Look at verse 10. In Judah, it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall." And their enemies are saying they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at the same time, the Jews who live near them, so their brothers, their sisters, their cousins, their family, their friends, they came from all directions and said to us ten times, which is a way of saying over and over and over and over and over, they came and pleaded, saying, you must return to us. Just quit. Stop it. This isn't safe. It's not going to work. We've all had those moments, right? Where the passion initially that we had and the excitement kind of wears off. And we begin to second guess why we've jumped into what we've been called to. Um, We experience emotional fatigue or we even begin to have a, a growing fear of failure. And at that moment, we usually throw up two complaints that we see here. One, the work is too big. And secondly, we're just too small. One, the work is too big. And secondly, we're just too small. When we say the work is too big, uh, it's many times because we didn't set appropriate expectations. Um, We thought that it would be done quicker. Uh, We thought we would at least be farther sooner. And, and, And if nothing else, we thought we would at least be at this particular point in our plan when we're really here. We do this in all areas of our lives, whether it's your family, whether it's your work, whether it's here in our faith community. And nothing can kill energy in the work of restoration quite like delusional expectations. Um, You know, expectations, they can become our idols just as much as anything else. And and you can tell this when your plan doesn't go according to plan and you throw a temper tantrum, you get angry, or you just want to quit. Because it's at that point you're more committed to your plan than you are God's purposes. Um, You're more committed to your expectations than what, to what God has called you to. Now don't hear me bagging on having a good plan or having strategy. That's important for any organizational health and movement. Um, but God is looking for people who would trust his guidance, not just our plans that fit our expectations. So when we move forward these next few weeks, we may very well hit some more hiccups. I don't think so. I think <laughs> foreseeable future, it seems like we're in, you know, uh, There have been times where we come out of the forest and we think we've made it to the prairie to come and see another forest. Um, But when we move into our new space this, this summer, I want us to guard our expectations at the work that God's called us to. Guard your expectations. Is the building a catalyst for missional impact? Yeah, I sure think so. I think it's going to be a great avenue for us to reach out faithfully to our community And some of us think, um, and sometimes I wrestle through this, that this is our golden ticket that we're going to explode or whatever. Um, Well, maybe, but maybe not. We may continue in the faithful growth and the joy of our community that we are experiencing now. And that's a good thing. It's really up to God how we grow, where we grow, where our missional impact is successful. Yes, we put out effort. We work. We pray. We plan. We plan. But it's ultimately up to God and his timing and his placement, how he will bring about growth and missional impact. You know, really the work of our city has just begun and um, there's much more to our wall building than just establishing public presence, which that facility will do. You see, public presence has to move to faithful presence, but that can only happen by faithful service over years of being present. Um, So we we need to not only have the courage to begin, to paint walls, to get excited, to open doors, but to have the courage to continue the work, the creative energy to then think new avenues of impact in our city, to be persistent in the face of further opposition in these changing timelines that may still await us in the midst of our excitement. Now, there are going to also come times and days in our lives um, where we're going to just feel like we're too small, Okay, God's called you to do something in your vocation. Um, He's called you to do something in your family. But you feel too small for the task before you. And maybe that's the way you feel this morning. Um, And maybe that's the way some of us feel when we talk about our faith community as we seek to impact this city. The hard part about this complaint is that it's true, (laughs) no matter what it is. um, And no matter what we're talking about, we are too small. If it's just us, you know, the old saying goes, we don't have a snowball's chance in hell (laughs) of actually bringing change in our city if it's just you and me here this morning bringing about missional impact. And if there's any consistent refrain in our chapter, chapter four this morning, it's this, that in the midst of these challenges, supernatural resources are available to us in building this wall as a team. Okay? So first, what is that first supernatural resource? First is that God will do his part. God's a part of our team. Look at verse 14. In the face of opposition and discouragement, Nehemiah calls out to the people and he says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the the wall, each to his work. And look to this last part in verse 20, where he says, Our God will fight for us. You see, the reason people continue in the work of restoration, the reason that we can continue in the work of the restoration is not because ever we will be so big to actually accomplish it on our own. It's because, and it's not because, because we think we're powerful enough, creative enough. I mean, remember, these, they don't even have professional builders at this point. They're nobodies. But they, they know and they, they feel that the fact that they're doing God's work with God and the work of the restoration of the city, and God himself is by their side. We even sang it this morning I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of our angel armies is always by my side. In the same sense in chapter 3 where we see this refrain of next to him, next to them, after them, you could see God saying, I'm next to him. I'm next to them. I'm after them. I'm before them. I'm around them. I'm working through them building up the city that he loves. And yeah, we read the work slows a little in order to carry weapons of self-defense, but they never stop working. They keep their nose to the task that they've been called to. God will fight for them and through them. Our God who is great and awesome will frustrate the plans of those who oppose his justice and his love in his timing and in his way. But we have to keep working. It requires also our faithfulness. And the people of God throughout history, I mean, this has always been seen as one of the most important realities when we're on mission, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? We look throughout the stories of Scripture, and they exemplify this truth. We look at throughout the words of the prophets, and they're proclaiming this truth. Look throughout the songs of Scripture, and it's giving us words to our heart's passion. I mean, look in the songbook of Scripture, Psalm, which is one of my favorites, Psalm 121. It gives us poetically words for the discouraged heart and singing in fear and in moments of discouragement. The psalmist writes, I lift up my my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. How can we be sure that God's going to come in the hills? How can we be sure and find confidence that He will do His part? Because this side of Christ, He's already come to the epic hill. He's already rescued humanity and the most epic of singing and the most epic of exclamations on his last breath upon the cross where he screams, it is finished, that we might re-enter our walk with an almighty God, the one who came from the heaven he made to the earth he made for the people he made, that they might be whole again. And how can we be certain that he will do his part? Because he gave his all that we might be whole. When all the world, and we think of Kansas City when all the world looks like a prairie filled with certain condemned warehouses through the work of Christ he's come to resurrect empty buildings he's come to repurpose his people and bring new life through the work of Christ so God will do his part the bigger question that we all have to ask ourselves this morning is will we do our part will we do our part In Christ's community we we have this refrain When it comes to the gospel It is opposed to earning We cannot earn God's love He lavishes it upon us Through the work of Jesus Christ But it isn't opposed to effort We walk as Ephesians chapter 2 says In the good works that have been laid out Before us to do So will we walk away Because the work is hard Or will we have the courage To continue in what God is doing When things get tough when it requires a little more time in our schedules for a season. I mean, God has always been about working through his people to mediate pockets of restoration until that final day he makes all things right once again. And at Christ Community, we believe we are designed to give away ourselves for our neighborhoods, our city, and our world. It's one of our key values to who we are as a community as scripture guides us in our walk with Christ. This may look different for you and your family, Um, but, but we all still have to get our hands dirty. We got to pick up a brick and build, right? Each of us. So will you first build the wall where you are and, and where has God placed you along the wall to keep going? And so I wanted to ask us a few questions just to think about, okay? Well, good morning. That's okay. (laughs) Um, first, some of you may be in the season of your life where your family requires more time to disciple your children, and also to care for your spouse, whatever stage of life you're in. And so are you building up our city in your home, this, this smallest microcosm of our city? Are you intentionally setting aside time as a family to focus on Jesus? Here at Christ Community, we see children's ministries as a come-alongside help in caring for children. We see parents as the primary pathway of discipleship for our kiddos. So are you actively seeking the good of our city in your homes? For some of you who are called to be single, and there's a lot in our city that are at that stage in their life now and may be in that stage as God has called them for permanence while on this earth, are you building up our city by using your wider availability and resources for God and his purposes rather than greater extension of self-indulgence? Thirdly, how has God wired you and placed you in a particular vocation? Um, are you building up our city in your job, the resourcing centers of our city, right? How is your do- job more than a job but a calling, a place where you contribute to God's work in your work? And then also, how are you serving your neighbors and your community rather than just living in your neighborhood? So are you, are you building up our city in your block and in your building? Those dynamic intersections where conversations happen in our city, Do you reach out to your neighbors, or do you just stay inside? How are you building the wall in your life? But we have to remember that the wall building is not just individual, nor is it just family, but it's all of God's family. This is a teamwork effort as we think about our faith community in downtown Kansas City. So those of you who have worked on a factory line, you know very well that if... um, Not everyone is focused on the task at hand. The whole line stops. You feel a kink. And production decreases, and the whole line suffers in what you've been called to create. So, Nehemiah, he doesn't go out alone, but he reaches out to these others. And and we have the unique opportunity in our city as as a church intersected, well, actually as a city, which is interconnected by all of these different highways to be four campuses across the Kansas City metro and to be able to to unite to specifically impact our downtown. And we want to call each of us this morning to three ways that we can do that as a faith community. Not just as individuals, not just as families, not just as in your neighborhoods, but here in our downtown. First, we long to be about wall building as a team by praying together, right? We see throughout the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah is just throwing up prayers incessantly. And he's calling the people to be praying together incessantly. He responds to opposition, and he encourages God's people in discouragement to be praying. So will you be joining us and be praying for your city, while also praying for your church? This doesn't mean anything less, but definitely more than when we gather together on Sunday mornings to be praying for one another. But throughout the week, how are you praying for your church and your city? Now, a practical next step on how that could look Could possibly be just saying, okay, on Tuesdays, myself or my family, we're going to spend Tuesdays praying for our church. We're going to pray for her leadership across the campuses. We're going to pray for her dynamic missional impact in the city and how we can be calling new new believers to a greater depth in their walk with Jesus or unbelievers to come and to proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord. How are you praying for your church? to be involved in in work with Kansas City Rescue Mission or with our educational systems in our downtown, to have positive and influential partnerships that are intersecting the various avenues of our city. So first, join us by praying together. Secondly, will you build the wall with us by working together? Now, there are work days ahead that will probably come more towards the end of May, so be looking at your email boxes. Um, And we're going to be painting, like I said, moving furniture, building some furniture. But there's going to be avenues after that initial entry where you can serve um, to interconnect with our city in this now 24-7 space that we have in our city. Will you be willing to volunteer where there's a need, even if it's just for a season? Um, This, uh, (laughs) actually, you may not feel like a professional, and this may be a need where you don't feel qualified or you don't feel necessarily ready to do it. You may feel like a priest who's trying to build a wall, (laughs) as we see here in Nehemiah. But you know what? We need you. Everyone in here needs you. We need your beautiful face, your smiling face, your beautiful voice, or your not-so-beautiful voice. Um, We need your helping hands. We need you to join together with those who are sitting beside you to work to serve our city, your church, and for the glory of God in Christ. So let your gifts and your passions be a guide. We, we say that's an important thing. But don't let it be a hindrance to paralyze you when a need arises because you just don't feel like you're gifted or called there. If there's a need there and there's a hole, don't be afraid to just step in and serve. So at first we pray together, and we're going to be building the wall by working together. But we're also seeking to build the wall in the most broadest sense here in our city, By regularly remembering together. Nehemiah calls the whole community. This is key to surviving a wall building. There are plenty of things in our life that that compete for our attention. There are plenty of things throughout our week that call for our time and our influence. But there are even things on Sunday mornings where we want to sleep in or we want to work on a project that's due on Monday because our schedules didn't allow. I would encourage you to fight for this, this Sunday morning gathering. Make that a critical part in your schedule. Um, As Hebrews 10, verse 25 says, Let us not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the ultimate day of restoration and judgment, as Christ promised he will return. So may you be present. We need you to be here to cultivate a culture of encouragement for each other, taking at least this very minimum of Sunday morning gathering. We have other avenues to be having opportunities for a relationship and accountability. But take this time this week um, and and throughout the weeks to empower one another for worship throughout the week, where God has called you missionally. Now, as we seek to be a caring community in our downtown, uh, we need all hands on deck (laughs) to be this welcome place for new folks as they're coming in, to to explore Christ or to rediscover their relationship with God, and what it looks like to live in community. And, and when I say this, you know, so many times people say, oh, "Okay, this is the pastor hearken on coming to church." Um, not necessarily. That's that's not what I'm trying to say. Because you are the church, whether we're gathered or scatter scattered, right? That's not a just. This isn't the only time the church is the church. We're called on mission throughout the week to be worshiping Him through our vocations and callings. But what I am saying is that. This isn't something we want from you, but something we want for you. You need to be regularly, weekly, remembering what God and Christ has done for you in community. It's the healthiest way to keep wall building, going, if it's going to survive. And so when we gather together, we remember one thing aside of everything else. We remember that God and Jesus came to earth in the midst of rubble. To fight the fight of salvation on our behalf. To make a way of restoration through his broken body and his shed blood with God Almighty. Then when he rose again on the third day, he sent out his spirit to empower and build up his church as a dynamic community of restoration and gospel proclamation. It's this gospel we remember in a tangible way each week in the Lord's table. You see, in this act, we take broken bread and we engage together in community. In common broken bread, we remember Jesus' broken body, broken for you, for us. Through common poured juice, we remember Jesus' shed blood on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this. And remembrance of me. In the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'd like to take a moment of silence, to pray together, to think upon where God's placed you along the wall where he's placed you in this wall-building process as a team here in Christ Community downtown, as your local church, the expression of the universal church across the globe, and where he's called you and how he's called you through Christ to be that agent of restoration. Let's just take a moment together of silence.